following program is intended for mature audiences. The time is now for the hardest hit, yet completely trivial, football show on the planet. You are in rarefied territory. Ladies and gentlemen, well, well to the broken helmet. Let's rock. Greetings, everybody. On this recording on a Wednesday, July 21st, doesn't mean that's when you're listening, obviously, but welcome to Wednesday. Big day here today as we congratulate the Milwaukee Bucks. 50 years since the Buckaroos won a NBA championship. And they will get to celebrate today as they reel one in in game six at home. 105-98 over the Phoenix Suns. Giannis! Giannis! That boy's good. He is. 16 for 25. 16-25. 17 of 19 from the line. 14 rebounds. 50 points. Giannis gets 50. Bucks get one after 50. A lot of 50s getting thrown around. 105 is their score, so there's a 5 at the end there. And that is an absolute stretch. But congratulations to Milwaukee as we phase out of our congratulatory basketball talk and shift over to the ever-quiet NFL. And we continue to just sit and toil around in these days of nothingness as we wait for the training camps to start up. However, there's always a little something to talk about in the NFL, and that's where we will start today. These little tidbits, first one being the great Aaron Rodgers. Yes, word breaks in the Aaron Rodgers story that... The team has offered him a contract extension to make him the richest NFL quarterback, and he declined it. I mean, of course. Of course he declined it. He wasn't going to take it. He doesn't want to be in Milwaukee anymore. It's over. His time in Green Bay is finished. The fact that this is a story is comical at best. And fed from somewhere, probably the team, because... It's not a headline. And anybody who follows the NFL knows that this Aaron Rodgers Green Bay story is over. He might have one more year because he might not have an an option this year to go somewhere else. But he is sure as shit not going to be on the Packers come 2022. Not happening. And if you think that he is... You are a stupid asshole. That's exactly what he is. So, word breaks. Aaron Schefter, I believe it is, says... uh, Breaks the word about this contract extension that was offered and then was not signed. Again, just not shocking. However, this uh, feeds into ESPN's monolithic sports franchise because... Aaron Schefter breaks it, and then Stephen A., who, I, you know, good for Stephen A. having a career such as he's had. But I distinctly remember when they tried to put him top shelf in 2004, and quite frankly, with Stephen A. Smith, was a bomb-a-roo. I mean, night-night. He tanked to the point that they tossed him. I mean, he was—he went from being the up-and-comer, future voice of the station to not being featured at all. And then slowly built him back up, and now he is, I guess, where they always envisioned him to be. I doubt it. He got there anyway. But going back to ESPN, so Schefter breaks. This is why the current sports media structure kind of sucks, right? 
blogs and I mean, even blogs have kind of faded too, but I mean, blogs and podcasts really are where you get a lot of the good meat because the old school structure is just tired. It's ESPN and local sports radio and, you know, print guys that nobody even reads, old school ones that nobody reads anymore. But you don't get anything really good and organic. I mean, everything's a slant. So, like I'm saying, Schefter breaks the news. Stephen Smith comes out with his reaction, and here's his reaction to the whole thing. And you're going to pardon the audio on this because I was going to try to route this to get better audio, but I'm not going to take the time. I'm just going to play it and play it into my microphone. So here we go. I have to admit, I saw this story. I saw this breaking news from the great Adam uh-huh. Schefter himself, and I was utterly disgusted. No, of and course you were. not just at the Green Bay Packers. No, who? Max. It's at oh, all of these please tell us. aficionados, people that we have working here at this network, people mm-hmm. that we have, that we see working on the NFL and beyond at other networks and what have you. Yeah, all shit the on people them. people that have been connected You're better. with the National Football League, who's played in the National Football League, who walks around Doesn't matter. like they don't understand a damn thing that I'm saying. The bottom line Why does anybody care what, what you're I've fucking been saying? talking about for months? Nobody it's cares. It's not about football. It's not just about the money. It's not uh-huh. just about, it certainly isn't about football. We missed it. Come on, Stephen A. Tell us. Tell us. In back-to-back years under Matt LaFleur as the head coach. They went to back-to-back NFC championship games, which means they were a part of the final four for two consecutive years. What idiot out there would possibly think this is football? This is not about football. This is about the way that the Green Bay Packers have treated their star player. They have disregarded him. They have dismissed him. They have minimized him. They've disrespected him. And he said, bump y'all. Enough enough. And to me, to watch and listen to people Your organization's are terrible. on the National Football League who know football wait, wait, back and forth, who are proud to call colleagues. That guy is a disgrace to the uniform. That I will ever know, but are prideful, prideful men Eloquently Don't be rude. Ad nauseum about the need okay, I can't to zest the craving can't. for respect to act like you can't comprehend what the hell Aaron Rodgers has been saying. Nobody, everybody understands. Everybody understands. Everybody understands. Everybody understands. Everybody understands. I, the Stephen A. Smith spiel is so tired at this point. I just can't. Oh, it's very frustrating as somebody who derived a lot of enjoyment out of sports and sports media that Stephen A. Smith just continually gets ESPN's microphone and megaphone. It's a megaphone at this point. And cameras and just shouts out, me, 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 I don't know why nobody isn't listening to me. Uh, I guess because we've listened to you for 15 fucking years and we're all tired of it by now. But anyway, Aaron Rodgers comes out, passes on the exhibition, on uh, passes on an extension to make it the highest paid QB, shocking nobody, and uh, gives ESPN a 24 hours uh, worth of news coverage. All right, great. Baker Mayfield staying on quarterbacks. He comes out, says to Cleveland.com, I'm not worried about my contract. You should be. If you listened to the previous podcast, you were the reason that the Cleveland Browns will not meet expectations this year. Or maybe you will, and I'm completely off on that one. We'll find out. Um, But point being, this is year four, right? Because he's the Saquon Barkley uh, draft. So this is year four for him. They're gonna have a uh, they're gonna have a fifth year con uh, fifth year option which they didn't they may or may not have picked up I don't know offhand probably should have looked it up again sometimes I don't do this research beforehand um, but you should be because here's the fact they have loaded up with talent on this team and there's enough here that if you don't succeed people are gonna look at the quarterback that's I mean that that is a fact because there's nothing really left on this team to fix other than the offense. The defense is going to be great. And the offense should be good. And especially since they made this play for Odell Beckham, I mean, the only thing that kind of bailed out Baker here is that Odell got hurt and just hasn't been the same as he was with the Giants. 
Because if Odell was performing well and didn't get hurt, and they were still, and he was still struggling with these numbers, they would all just look and have been like, "Hey, look, there's something wrong. I, Odell Beckham should be getting the ball. Baker's not getting the job done here." But he's been banged up. A little controversy here, you know, eating pizza and, smoke, and snorting cocaine. Uh, you know, is what it is. Uh, but you should be worried about your contract because uh, I would be. Otherwise, you're going to turn out to be another one of these journeymen, and you're going to get paid regardless. Uh, you know, if it's not here, you'll go somewhere else and you'll get a second shot. Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota. It worked out for it worked out for Tannehill. It didn't work out for Mariota. Sam Darnold's going to get a second shot here, but he did it on a trade. So, I mean, Darnold's going to be in the same boat because he's the same draft. So, both of them, if they don't perform, it's uh, sayonara out the door. Uh Tom Brady sticking on QBs uh, yet again. Number three, he gets all political, goes to the White House, steps up in front of the mic, and decides to make a comment about uh, being called Sleepy Tom. I don't remember if he was ever called Sleepy Tom. It, it doesn't really matter whether he was or whether he wasn't. He dropped the whole thing just to make a political you know, punch here at Trump. And I, I don't know, just... Just why can't we just get our goddamn politics out of our sports? It's insane. Every time I hear it, I just want to bash my head against the wall. Because it's everywhere else in life, too. Does it have to be in sports? And guess what? That, I mean, I just saw a story earlier today of how the women's soccer team in the Olympics lost, breaking some kind of 40-plus game winning record, winning streak. And before the game, everybody kneels down to protest uh, racism, equality, bop, 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 bop. I, I mean, enough. Look, I hate to break it to everybody, and this is about as political as I'll get on this show. Uh, I don't know if I ever do anything else that lends to be more political. But anybody thinking that the world was perfect and everybody was treated, created equal, well, treated equal from the get-go, uh, I, it never happened. It never happened. Nobody has ever been created equal. The game has never been equal. It's all tons of luck. Things break for some people. They don't break for other people. The environment is constructed the way that it is through the natural evolution of the planet and the way civilizations has gone and those things will change over time. And in regard to treating people equally, you should always strive for that. But the fact of the matter is is that people tend to be very tribal. And so people are going to be treated differently just because it's human nature to treat other people differently. And when I say tribal, I mean you affiliate with whatever it might be. It could be your town, your grade school, your high school, your college, your church, your uh, your race, religion, color, creed, your friend group. You, know, you go to high school X. They go to high school Y. You have your varsity jacket on. They got their varsity jacket on. You suck. No, you suck. And then a year later, you're in the same fraternity at college, and now you don't even care about what varsity jacket, varsity jacket you were wearing the year before. So, go figure, right? So, point being is that naturally, because people feel tribal, they're not going to treat other people equally all the time. They're just not. It's just not going to happen. You should strive for it, but people tend to gravitate toward the people that they can relate to. And usually it's friends and family and what other um, certain quote-unquote tribe they affiliate, affiliate with at the given time. But I'm not sure that there is this utopia where everybody is always created equally. That said, yes, we all, all should strive toward being an accepting nation across the board. You should just try to treat people well. Period. Just put on your shoes, put on your big boy, big girl pants, walk this earth, do good. 
Be a good parent. Be a good brother. Be a good friend. Be a good family member. Be a good worker. Just do good. That's it. It's very simple. And so long as you've done that, you've done your part. And you don't have to get up before a podium and make political jabs uh, in front of everybody to uh, poke fun at a, a previous president you don't like. And you don't have to kneel down in the middle of a soccer Olympic soccer game to tell everybody, hey, you know, d- do well. Do, do well. Do good by other people. Just you do it yourself. And that's it. And so long as you do that, we can all just keep politics out of the sports altogether. But Tom Brady chose not to. He got into it. Everybody and their brother in the media obviously gave him a big standing round of applause because it was a, a Jack Trump. Congrats. There you go. But that is our third quarterback item. And from quarterbacks to media, as I just kind of threw in at the very end there, the other kind of football story is Maria Taylor. And if you don't know about Maria Taylor, uh, you probably don't follow sports, but let's just uh, bring you up to speed should you be in that boat. Maria Taylor is an ESPN darling child. She is a starlet of the company. And she has now become kind of, she supplanted Rachel Nichols in the NFL NBA Finals coverage. And she was getting re-signed. And because of her popularity, popularity with who? I don't know. But to ESPN, she's deemed popular. Because of her popularity, she is looking for Stephen A. Smith money. I mean, Stephen A. Smith money. How that's even a terminology, I will never fucking know. But Stephen A. Smith gets paid a lot of coin. (laughs) And now Maria Taylor wants it. Why Maria Taylor gets that money, I don't know. I have watched her sporadically. I don't watch ESPN as much anymore. However, I did watch her a little bit in the NBA Finals. And you know what? She is a talking head like all the other people are talking heads. Is she good? Sure. She's great. She's fine. Is she special? Not in a million years. Get the hell out of here. I mean, the funny thing is, is that I remember in the early 2000s when there wasn't as much media out there. And now it's kind of gone backwards because now there's it's it's gone from being a ton of media out there to like just being, you know... Uh, a couple of outlets because everything, you know, big fish eat little fish. Uh, podcasts, I guess, is where all the talent is gone if you want. But back in 2000, early 2000s, you know, they, they didn't have, you know, uh, a sea of talent. So what they ended up doing as ESPN got bigger is they just took, uh, you know, writer here. You know, uh, we're going to do Around the Horn and then we're going to do PTI, you know, and they took all these and they took everybody from sports reporters. I mean, that's where everybody came from, right? It was sports reporters put onto their own shows called something differently. And the Tony Kornheiser uh, show ended up becoming PTI. It was the same thing. So if you listen to Tony Kornheiser at around noon, I think it was, um, on ESPN Radio, you didn't even have to watch PTI because it was the same damn thing. It just included Michael Wilbon at that point. So, I mean, none of this was new. But point being is that over the years, all these people that have come and gone, I mean, there's been very, very few that have ever, you know, broke ground and been, uh, you know, over the top or revolutionary. And it was exciting when the early 2000s came because at least you did get to see a little bit more people because before that... I mean, all you did was see the same people over and over and over again. And then 2000, you, like I said, they had this explosion of media and you kind of see saw some people break and gave the opportunities to people. And that was great. And that kind of just got choked out. And now we're back to where we were before where, I mean, it is literally the same people. And if you're a young sports broadcaster coming up, good fucking luck. <laughs> because you are going to meet failure after failure after failure after failure. Unless you have some kind of breakout podcast or something, in which case if you have a breakout podcast, you're probably going to have to be 23 years old and a girl and talking about sex while you still talk about sports and be signed to Barstool Sports in order to really you know catch, catch any fire. Maybe that happens to you all the best. Um, point being with this is that it's just gotten to the point that it was before the early 2000s where we're just getting get fed the same people because they don't want to make anybody too big and then have to pay them. 
So they keep everybody at arm's length. They have them do their shows, and then if they ever get too big, they'll pick the one guy who they'll be happy to give the paycheck to, and they'll kick everybody else off the network. That that net, that is now what, what has happened. So Stephen A. Smith gets the big money. Uh, Kellerman will take whatever check you give him. Uh, but all the other guys have all gotten blown out. Trey Wingo, see you later, bye bye. Don't let Thor hit you in the ass, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, you know, we'll keep uh, we'll keep uh, Goldberg and we'll get rid of Golik. Sorry, sorry, bye bye, Audi. Uh, you know, we got <laughs> we tried to get rid of Boomer and then we just brought Boomer back and we put him on ESPN uh, Plus because we needed something on that network to actually say that it had some value as we're trying to ring people for extra money. So Maria Taylor is the newest part of this, is that she somehow builds herself up to be revolutionary, not in any way, shape, or form. However, she's good enough that she thinks she deserves Stephen A. Smith money. They won't give it. And where the hell are you going with this whole thing, Egg? Get to the point, Egg! Well, she is now going to be going to NBC. She's going to be going to NBC. And she's going to ultimately be on Sunday Night Football. She could be on some other things, but, I mean, this does not make sense unless she goes to NBC and becomes Sunday Night Football something. Maybe uh, I was reading Pro Football Talk. They were, ta- I think it was Pro Football Talk or somebody else, and they were talking about uh, replacing Tariko. Tariko does uh, play-by-play solely, and she is the new, uh, you know, talking head that hosts the show. Okay, fine. That's great. No offense. I I don't want Maria Taylor doing Sunday Night Football. And nothing against Maria Taylor, but you mean to tell me that of all the people that are out there that could host Sunday Night Football, the one that you think that the most diehard, passionate football fans want, even though I know you don't care about them, is Maria Taylor? No, it's not. It's not. But, I mean, she checks a lot of boxes. Whoa! Yep. I said it. She does. She's a girl. She's African-American. Or if that's not acceptable anymore, she's black. So it is a good diversity PR hire for anybody that takes her. And that's fine. And, you know, kudos. That was the whole Rachel Nichols thing, right? Rachel Nichols was like, ESPN had a shitty diversity history, and so they pr- promoted her, fine, just don't take it away from me. I, My whole thing is, I don't care who Maria Taylor is, what color she is, nationality, race, whatever. I'm just, I want somebody in that seat that'll be entertaining. And I'm sorry, watching her, she's not. She is not. She's just another groomed, textbook, sportscasting, talking head. And now we're going to be stuck with her on Sunday Night Football because she is the only property that's out there right now that is worthwhile to anybody. And so much so that she is the apple of both ESPN and NBC's eye. I I, I just don't... I can't. I can't get my hands around it. There are so many people out there right now looking for opportunities. And sure, a big name station sports department is not going to hire just Joe or Jane Blow off the streets to host Sunday Night Football or be incorporated in Notre Dame football or whatever it might be. But there are plenty of people out there across college networks, other uh, local sports stations, you know, sports anchors, go to NBA, go to uh, NHL, I I mean, sideline reporters, games, there's so many people out there that the the person that you're going to go for to bring over to NBC to give big bucks and most likely host Sunday Night Football is Maria Taylor, the same girl that ESPN has taken and put on a rocket ship and also wants to give her... I, I just... She's the only person out there, right? And she's the best for this job. She's what American football watchers want to see. I, I, again, it just... 
It's mind-numbing. But anyway, uh, that's my rant about uh, Maria Taylor. We're all stuck with her. So if you like her, congratulations. You get a boatload of her. If you don't like her, you're stuck with her. Let's go out to one of two big stories. Well, the second one I'll get to. It's more of my own opinion piece. But we'll get to uh, the biggest football-related story of the past 24 hours, and that's Cam Akers. Tough, tough, tough blow. 2021 is now in the toilet. Guns up. Ends up blowing his Achilles and is going to be out for the season, which really sucks because Akers was what McVay wanted. He was a good back. He worked well in space. He really ramped up toward the end of last year. If you go through their game logs, you can see how they featured Daryl Henderson in the beginning of the season, and then they hit their bye week, and then they just immediately shifted to Akers and really leaned on him. And he was able to get that kind of production with, with Shitbrick behind center, right? And so now they've gotten rid of Jared Goff, and they brought in Matt Stafford. And even though Stafford's a little long in the tooth, he's definitely better than Goff. And he probably has a, a couple more years left in him. And so it would have been really exciting to see, well, what could McVay's offense, which had to deal with Goff and was limited, but still got good production from Akers last year with that, what would Akers have been able to do in an offense that was probably performing better with Stafford chucking the ball? Right, and now you just got to wait another year to see that. Now the bonus for Acres and Rams fans that uh, liked him, along with Dynasty fans that happened to grab him, is that he's only 21 years old. I think he came into the draft and he was 20, so he's only 21 years old. So look, even even if it took him a full year and a half to get back, next year he'll be 22, and then the year after that, it, you know, he'll be 23ish. Right? Uh, I mean, in, running backs could go until they're 28. 30, so you got another five years. Um, it kind of stinks with the rookie salary structure because you'd be bumping into Saquon Barkley problems, depending on that, is that you know eventually he's going to want to get paid, especially uh, last year was year one. This is going to be year two that's gone. Year three is going to be his rebound year, and if he has a solid rebound year, he might beef in year four for a contract. If not, and he has a good year four, you know he's definitely going to beef before round five or year five, uh, which will be the team option, and they'd have to pay him. So uh, it's just unfortunate that they lost Akers. Uh, he'll bounce back. An Achilles injury, look, I'm not a doctor. Um, it, I probably would rather a knee than an Achilles, but that's just me. Um, I, again, I don't know which one is worse, but I'd probably rather deal with an ACL than an Achilles injury, but then again, I could be completely off base. So what do the Rams do now? Because this team is built the way they are because they have a lot of cap investment, draft picks invested in the roster and not a lot of room to move. So Akers was a draft pick last year who was drafted on top of Daryl Henderson, who was drafted either the year before or two years before, and they drafted Henderson when they had Gurley. So... This has been a process of trying to rotate to find the running back that they wanted and seem to have found it in Acres, and now you are you lost that poker chip. It just went into the pot, and you just lost. All in with pocket twos, uh, and the guy had pocket threes, and uh, that, that's what happened. So you're going to have to go out, and you're going to have to replace that position. You can do it from the roster. You can do it outside the roster. The question becomes, how can you really do it outside the roster. So let's stay in-house and in the team. The two most likely candidates to take the reins would be number one, Henderson, because, look, they did draft him. He's still under his rookie contract. He had one monster game last year uh, early, maybe week four, week five. I think he had 100-something yards. It's not that he doesn't have potential. It's just he didn't seem to have the consistency, and McVay definitely didn't like his talents as they fit into a scheme. 
But that would probably be the number one starter currently, given Akers being out. They also drafted Jake Funk in the seventh round out of Maryland. Interesting pick. They did pick somebody in seventh grade. Ah, looks like I, I just got an Amazon delivery. Or maybe two. Um, so they picked Jake Funk in seventh round out of Maryland. He has an opportunity, too. Now, they probably didn't have a, too much uh, hope in Funk drafting him in the seventh. It's kind of a lottery pick when you get down that late. But they drafted him regardless. Now he's there, so you might as well give him a shot. If you go outside of those people, the it gets really thin. And these are all the people that have already been talked about. Todd Gurley, there's not a chance. I, nobody's picked up Todd Gurley yet. And there's a big reason why. Because he was terrible last year. And I feel really bad for Gurley because none of this is his fault. The guy got a knee injury in at Georgia, came back from the knee injury, had a couple of phenomenal years with the Rams, but his knees have just degenerated. And he just doesn't have it. And if you saw him play for the Falcons last year, he was awful. He was so bad. He's not coming back to L.A. He could do it on the cheap, and it would be a nice reunion story, but they're not going to want to do that. Because, number one, they got rid of him. They had to deal with that whole thing. They already signed him for a whole ton of money, and they had to deal with egg on the face. Then you're going to bring him back. Let's say you bring him back, and he has a monster year. Then what do you do? You're going to boot him a second time? No, it's not happening. Frank Gore was mentioned. Again, not a chance. That's not happening. He is old. And I love the Frank Gore story. Came from the U, University of Miami. I was actually there in my graduate program when he was there. Um, Graduate broadcast journalism for the U. (laughs) Didn't work out as planned. Uh, But Frank Gore was there. And he has been in the NFL ever since. So as I meandered this earth uh, doing several things, he did one thing, and that was go to the NFL and then play there every year since. So I... Love Frank Gore. Go anywhere. It's not going to work out for the Rams. You shouldn't even consider it. He's just too old. It's not going to work. Adrian Peterson. That one's not going to work either. He's probably a better pick, I think, than Gore. I, I You know, when, when Peterson has popped um, in the past couple of years, he's really had a little bit of top end left. I've never seen Gore with a top end anymore. Right, I mean, he's never had an explosive game. He probably can get you like 40 yards more games in a row than Peterson can. But, you know, you're not getting a 100-yard game out of Gore. Uh, Peterson's another chance, but doesn't really work. Uh, Devontae Freeman. Getting getting warmer, but still no dice. Uh, Freeman came and he went to the Giants last year when Barkley ended up having his injury. And Freeman played a little bit, but ended up losing touches to... uh, Damn it. See, I I did this in the last podcast, too. I stammered when I was trying to think of people, uh, and then I eventually came up with their name, but not before I stammered, said, uh, like five times. Wayne Gallman is the person I was thinking of. And Gallman ended up taking snaps from Freeman, and eventually Freeman didn't even play. So uh, why would it be different here for the Rams than it was for the Giants who you know, really needed him uh, and could have used him and gave him all the opportunities in the world, and it didn't work out. Sure, this offense is probably a l- is better than the Giants. I, probably it is, dummy. Way to go, egg. Uh, so the offense is better here. Would that give him more potential? Maybe. I just don't see it. But we're getting warmer because he is a more diversified back than Gore and Peterson, and definitely Gurley. Uh, with his knees. So, not going to work. LaShawn McCoy is the next one that came up, and I think that one gets a as well because LaShawn McCoy is probably the age factor that Gore is. McCoy was great, hated Shady as a Giants fan. He was awesome in Philly, and he was okay in Buffalo. That was a long, long, long time ago. And everywhere McCoy's been since, he has not been able to recapture that mid-90s or late-90s magic 
late 90s, early 2000s, 2010s, whatever. He hasn't been able to reclaim the glory years of past. And that leaves one person, and that was Le'Veon Bell. And I think this one is a no-brainer because Le'Veon Bell, to me, is just sitting there and would be a great lottery ticket for the Rams. You take him, you put him in there, he really has got no wear and tear ever since the Steelers took him. Granted, he's three years older now, took the year off and two years with the Jets, but he didn't do anything with the Jets. He didn't do anything with the season that he took off. Yes, older now, I guess he's 30, I think. So, you probably wouldn't have as high hopes for production that mirror that of the Steeler years. But why wouldn't you take a shot with Le'Veon Bell? I mean, you never would have before this because you didn't need to. But since you're stuck with nothing other than Daryl Henderson and maybe Jake, Jake Funk. Jake Funk! I'll take Terry Funk. Um, why not take a shot on him? Can't hurt. Can't hurt. You bring him into camp. You see if he can play. If he can play, great. If he can't, you just send him on his way. I think it's kind of a no-brainer. Although what we'd all like to really see is Cam Akers in uniform. That will not be happening in Jump Street. So it will be Daryl Henderson, Jake Funk, or a player to be named later. And so the second NFL story is actually one from years and years ago. Days past, if you will. Fun for me because I remember it well. And I was reading Pro Football Talk when I saw this story. And I said, oh, man, there it is. That's what I'm going to talk about today because I still, still remember this. (laughs) Like it was happening today. Did I say that twice? Uh, Anyway, Nick Saban. The great Nick Saban. Um... He ended up speaking with 24-7 sports and revisited his time in the NFL. And once again, Mr. Saban, having revisionist history, is blaming anybody except for himself on his poor performance and short stint in the NFL. And this time, once again, he's blaming doctors. And truth be told, enough is enough about the, re- the the doctors. I mean, it has, you've been crying this song for over a decade now, and nobody wants to hear it. Not, not only does nobody want to hear it, but you're just lying. You're just lying. You're lying through your teeth. I actually can't believe what I just saw. Neither can I. Neither can I. Here's some of the statements from 24-7 Sports. This is Nick Saban talking. Look, when the Miami Dolphins were going to sign Drew Brees, Drew was coming down to Miami when I was the coach there. He was going to be the quarterback. That's all we needed. We just went 9-7. All we needed was a quarterback to be the playoff team. This is my terrible Nick Saban accent. We were going to sign Drew Brees as a free agent. Dr. Andrews operated, and I went to Birmingham to see Dr. Andrews, and he said, it'll be fine. Our doctors failed him on the physical. Drew was there to sign with us. So I decided right then. Bullshit. Bullshit. So I decided right then what, when that happened that we don't have a quarterback in the NFL. We're not going to win. I'm getting out of here. I'm not staying here. I'm not going to be responsible for this. That doctor didn't know his ass from a handful of sand. Drew B's played 15 more years, wins the Super Bowl, goes to nine Pro Bowls, and we didn't take him in Miami. Where that's where we wanted to go, so some things you just can't control. And when we were left, nobody. When we left there, nobody understood why. Well, that was why. That was always the reason. There's always a reason. All right, whatever. Let's just uh, let's rewind this a little bit and go through it. All right, you were nine and seven the year before. You sure were. All we needed was a quarterback to be a playoff team. Bull fucking shit. Let's go through that roster. 
So here you go. This is the team that went nine and seven, that only needed a quarterback. Your quarterbacks were Gus Farratt, Sage Rosenfels, were the two, okay? Your running backs were Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams, who, if I'm not mistaken, came back because he retired and they came back that year. Uh, Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams, uh, Sammy Morris, I guess Travis Miner saw some playing time. Your wide receivers were, oh, let's see, we'll do it by this, Chris Chambers, Marty Booker, Wes Welker. Tight ends were Randy McMichael and Lorenzo Diamond. Chambers was 27, Booker was 29, Welker was 24. And for those of you that remember Wes Welker with all the success he had with the Patriots, he had 29 catches for 434 yards with the Dolphins. So he wasn't the Wes Welker that you knew quite there. Chambers had 82 catches for about 1,200 yards, just uh, just above 1,100 yards, actually. And Randy McMichael was the second highest receiver with 60 catches for 582 yards. So your two top, your, your, well, and yardage-wise, Marty Booker was the second highest receiving yards. He had 39 catches for 686. So let's go by yardage. So, this, is, again, is 2004 when you can run the ball a little bit more than you can now. However, the team that only needed a quarterback had Chris Chambers at 1,100 yards, Marty Booker at just under 700 yards, and Randy McMichael at just under 600 yards. Wes Welker at 434. Those were your top four receivers. Ronnie Brown that year had 900 yards on the ground. Four touchdowns with a yards per average of 4.4. 32 receptions for 232 yards in the backfield. That, my friends, was your team. Now, on defense, um, we do this by tackles. Uh, we'll, they're big players. Zach Thomas, Chaney Crowder, Lance Schulters, Jason Taylor, who was at the back end of his career, uh, that year, sack-wise, uh, he had 12 sacks. Pretty solid. Uh, Kevin Carter had six sacks. Uh, Sam Madison, he was okay. Junior Sale played in seven games? Well, I don't remember that. Jeremiah Bell. Jeremiah Bell was on that squad. Um, that was your team. So, stop looking at that roster, going 9-7, and seven, saying that the only thing that you needed was a quarterback, and that team would have been good. No. That team was uh, played above average. They played uh, above their means. They had a great performance, but that team was not a championship team. I am sorry. You're kidding yourself if you think that. And now you're going to turn around and you're going to blame, once again, not getting Drew Brees. And that the, the doctor failed him, and that's why you passed on him. Well, I am in agreement with the other people because I was actually working at, at uh, the ticket, 790 the ticket, covering the Dolphins. We had just gotten the rights to the Dolphins from QAM. Huge news at the time because they had never left uh, Quam. And we got them. And so I remember going and grabbing sound at those press conferences. And in the first week or two, I went and all the producers and reporters and hosts would all talk intra-office. And I distinctly remember saying, this guy is not going to work. I am sorry. I have seen enough to tell you this guy is going to be a disaster. He's a jerk. People don't like him. And he's going to rub the players the complete wrong way. And everything he's going, everything he's doing right here is kiss my ass, do things that I'm telling you because I'm the smartest guy in the room. And I'm sorry, the jump between college and football is too big in 2004. It's actually probably gotten less now because of the way the offense has grown. But in 2004, that jump is too big that you're going to be able to barrel in there and think that you could just call all the shots and tell everybody to go suck it. Two words for you. Suck it. Not going to happen. 
I was probably the thing I was most right about in my two-year stint there or three-year stint at uh, 790 was the fact that he was going to be terrible. That and calling uh, Antoine Walker because that was a great call too. But it, he, it didn't work out in Miami for Saban because Saban's just not a pro coach. That's it. And yeah, I guess you could have used a quarterback, but you went out and traded a second round pick for Dante Culpepper instead of signing Drew Brees. You could have you could have told the doctor to suck it and sign Drew Brees regardless. If you were such buddies with James Andrews and you trusted James Andrews, why would you have cared what the Dolphins coach said? And if Heisenga partnered up with the with the trainer, you could have just went in there and been like, hey, look, I know Andrews. I talked to Andrews. I believe him. He says that it's fine. If it blows up in our face, guess what? You could just fire me. But that's the guy that I want. I just went 9-7. and seven. Trust me on this one. Heisenga wouldn't have given shit. He would have done it in a heartbeat. He would have done that in a heartbeat. He would have given you Breeze. I, I mean, more so than trading a second-round pick for Dante Culpepper, who's coming off a blown knee, and, and his game was nothing but long balls to Randy Moss, and then, you know, running and scrambling around for extra yardage. You're going to take the busted knee, but you're not going to take the busted... You're going to take the busted knee, you're not going to take the busted shoulder, which was a questionable shoulder anyway. It wasn't even like, you know, he tore the thing up. But let's get to the other things that Saban screwed up just as much as not overriding the Miami doctors and signing Drew Brees. Your draft sucked, buddy. You, The team that you said was just a quarterback away wasn't a quarterback away. They had some talent in there that wasn't good from the get-go. And you, you kind of were, you know, ripping the last bit of success that some great players had there. Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, right? I mean, you didn't bring those guys in. But who he did bring in was Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown with the number two pick in the NFL draft. Saying that when you played Ronnie Brown, he used to beat up your players so much you just got tired you know toward the end because he was such an, a, a bruising back. Well Ronnie Brown came into the league at 24 years old. 24 years old. Running backs only last until they're about 30 and you grabbed one that was 24. Get out of here. Come on with a second pick. Guys that you passed up. Braylon Edwards didn't have a, a great career. I would say probably had a better career than Brown. Adam Pacman Jones had a great career. A controversial, problematic. Had a great career. DeMarcus Ware had an awesome, awesome career. Jamal Brown, great offensive lineman. Thomas Davis, the guy just retired last year. Just retired last year. I, I don't think he's playing this year. If he is, then he didn't retire. Uh, Derek Johnson. Also another standout linebacker, much like Davis. And then finally, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, folks. You were one quarterback away that year. But you didn't pick Aaron Rodgers. You went with Sage Rosenfels and Gus Farad. 34-year-old Gus Farad. And then you went and drafted Ronnie Brown. Okay, sure, whatever. But... Ronnie Brown wasn't the only draft pick you picked. Only draft pick you picked. That's a pick squared. Matt Roth, second round pick. Remember him? Nope, me neither. Khalif Barnes came after him. Solid lineman. Nick Collins, D-back. Vincent Jackson, RIP baby. Vincent Jackson, monster career. Also came after Matt Roth. And Frank Gore. Frank Gore came after Matt Roth. Frank Gore not only came after Matt Roth, but is still playing and blew Ronnie Brown out of the water. Available there in the second round. What about your third round pick? Oh, that was... Shannon Crowder. Solid for a couple of years and then retired. Who came after Shannon Crowder? Oh, Justin Tuck. Kurt Morrison. He was a solid linebacker. Richie Incognito. Still playing. Had a little bit of trouble. Landed on the Dolphins at one point, but had a little bit of trouble there. You know, that, that whole thing. Crazy person. Also a good lineman. And let's go to the next year, which was the Drew Brees, Dontel 
Dante Culpepper fiasco season was your number one draft pick and your only draft pick for the first two rounds, because I think the second one they gave up for Dante Culpepper, ended up being Jason Allen. Jason Allen. Do you remember him? <laughs> Me neither. It's a Matt Earl stroke twice. After him, though, Antonio Cromartie, Santonio Holmes, D'Angelo William, Nick Mangold, and that doesn't even count the second-round people. And there was more there, too. Bunch of line linebackers. Quill Jackson, I think, was one. Uh, I'm trying to remember offhand. I was looking at it earlier. So, stop saying that the doctor screwed up your NFL career. It had nothing to do with the doctor. You decided you could do it with Dante Culpepper. You couldn't. And then you drafted like shit. And so after going 9-7, and seven, with basically the same roster, you end up going 6-10. and 10. So you explain to me. How do you go 9-7, and seven, you're one player away, and then all of a sudden the next year you go to 6-10? and 10. Culpepper stunk. He only played four games. And then you had to bring in Joey Harrington. Remember him of Lions fame or infamy. And that year, uh, Ronnie Brown was your leading rusher. He ticked up all of about uh, 70 yards or so. Had only 1,000 yards that season. Average went down from 4-4 the year before to 4-2 this year. Sammy Morris was your second leading rushing rusher. As for your receiving, granted, your quarterback stunk. Your Number one receiver the year before, Chris Chambers, went from 1,100 yards down to 677 in a full 16-game season. Marty Booker led all pass catchers with 747. Wes Welker upticked to 687. So that's when you start seeing him uh, you know, start to take off, and then he ends up going to the Patriots. Randy McMichael, 640. I mean, sorry. Zach Thomas still played. Shannon Crowder, Jason Taylor. Taylor had 13 and a half sacks that year. So you got two years out of Taylor, 12 sacks and 13 and a half sacks. Jeremiah Bell, he flew up there. He started his production went up. I mean, I'm sorry. Where's your boy Jason Allen? 16 games started. Monster 20 tackles. Any interceptions? One. One interception. And 20 tackles out of your number one draft pick to play safety. And I think if I remember correctly, he said that Jason Allen was going to do everything. So, again, revisionist history here. And I remember it all too well. Nick Saban failed for two reasons. He was stupid enough not to sign Drew Brees, regardless of what the doctor said. And he drafted the team like shit. And those were the two reasons. Nothing else. And you know what? You could have stuck it out and tried to get a quarterback the next year. But you didn't. You just got on the horse and got out of town in the middle of the night. And that's all she wrote. And that was it for Nick Saban. And that's it for today. Adios to y'all. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday or whenever it is that you might be listening to this. And tomorrow will be the Brothers Eggy on the podcast. See if we can't uh, pick up where we left off last week. Doing a little premature gambling talk. Maybe we'll do a little uh, fantasy. I don't know yet. We've got to throw it in the cooker and uh, fryer, the oven. See what we got cooking. Something along those lines. I'm just, I'm failing miserably. <laughs> The Falcons breaking down, so I'm getting out. Audi 5000, enjoy. Talk to you later.